Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. We're starting a new series today on the life of David, which is going to run us for a couple months, and we're very, very excited about it. I, I love David's life. The problem is I see myself too often in his life. You probably do too. So the series is entitled The Life of David, A Man After God's Own Heart. Today, though, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 16. So if, your bio, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over there. Transitioning leadership to a man after God's own heart. Let's again look to the Lord in prayer just briefly before we look into his word. Father, it is a, it is a joy to be with your people. It is a joy to sing praises to you, Lord. And as Tim has already told, said, we can't even fathom a thimble size of the wealth and beauty and the expanse of your love for us and your glory and wonder and majesty. But Father, we so appreciate when we get a glimpse. And I pray now that as we look at your word, please clear our minds of preoccupations and other thoughts and things that have happened or might happen. And Father, for the next 30 minutes or so, allow us just to focus upon you and upon your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Transitions in leadership are interesting things. I, I, I'm not a master of the business world, I, but I, I've read a, enough stories, and sometimes you have very smooth transitions from one leader to another. Other times, they're pretty rocky. And I think one of the things you're going to find in this transition, it's going to be more the latter than, than, than the former. Um, I, I was thinking about with some of the sexual abuses that have going on recently, and, and uh, Weinstein, you know that guy? Um, nobody's favorite at this time, uh, for right, rightly so. But that transition of leadership from his particular company, that was very quick. The board came on and just said, you're done, right? Just very, very rapid, rightly so. Well, a board doesn't do it here in chapter 16. God does. And that's better than a board. And although the transition is going to see somewhat rocky along the way, I want you to know it is absolutely certain because of what God is about doing. Let me just say it to you like this. In many ways, because... When we had talked about this series, we had thought, should we just do the life of David, starting chapter 16, or should we start at the beginning of, of 1 Samuel? And we chose to start here in chapter 16. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you like a thumbnail in about a minute or two of, this, of just aspects of the first 15 chapters. And this is what you'll find in 1 Samuel. Do, do, do you see that arrow up there, the, the, the arrows, the reversals? See that? In, in many ways, you can look at the beginning part of Samuel and you can find out Eli is the priest at the beginning of this book. But because of his unfaithfulness to God, I, and, and it's not just his sin. We all sin. That, that's not the issue. But, but it's an ongoing kind of rebellion that says, no. You will see his demise in the beginning part of Samuel and you will find Samuel comes on the scene. You'll find a transition between the priest, the high priest. When you come to the king of Israel, you're going to find the same thing. 
So the people come to Samuel at one particular point. Samuel's getting old, and they say, we want a king. But they want a king for all the wrong reasons. Because they just want to be like all the other nations around. God had already always intended for them to have a king. We know that from Deuteronomy 17. But it was to be his man at his time for his reason. But God gave them a king after the people's heart. And his name was Saul. Although we had a couple good things he did, frankly. When you look at the first 23 years of his life, of his reign, what you find is a downward spiral. And, and, and in 1 Samuel 13, 14, and 15, you get two events, one that takes place toward the beginning of his reign, one that takes place roughly 23 years in his reign. And what it's saying is this, what you see here is the pattern of this man's life. This is how he reigned. And you know what you'll find? Saul's reign was about Saul. And he would, because of his fears, he would often be pragmatic. And and he would step out and do things he should not do. And other times, he would just go totally counter to what God said because the people wanted him to do it. And it just seemed like it would work his side of the street. And what happens by the time you get to the end of 1 Samuel 15? God comes to Samuel and God says, he's done. He will no longer be king of this nation. And and in the midst of that, in in chapter 13, God says, I am looking for a man after my own heart to rule and to replace Saul. One of the things you find at the end of chapter 15 is, is Samuel is brokenhearted. The Bible tells us he just goes back and he mourns. He cries, he weeps. Because he loves Saul. And he's just overwhelmed. That the, and he was angry at Saul. And he, all at the same time. And he weeps. And with that in mind, we open up to chapter 16. Look at how it begins. 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Bible said, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, you've got to understand something. We're in the ancient world. If, if you've done any reading of the ancient world with kings and so those kinds of things, what happens if I'm king and while I'm king... Tim wants to become king. If I find out Tim wants to be king, uh uh-oh is right for Tim if I can get to him, right? I I I mean, that's just how things work. So there's a sense in which this is almost a covert operation here. This is not going to be a public anointing. This is going to actually be a rather private anointing. But it's going to be very direct and it's showing God's purposes. Well, Samuel knows all this, and Samuel's thinking, even though Samuel is a prophet and he has a special relationship with God, 
Saul could snuff him out too. It won't be the first time that prophets were killed, and it won't be the last. So look what Samuel says back to God. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. I mean, this will be viewed as subversive. God, even though you're the CEO and you can do whatever you want because it's your, it's your kingdom, Israel's yours, I still am the guy that has to say it. So the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. So God says, I want you to go up and I want you to do a sacrifice. If anybody asks, that's what you tell them because you are. It wasn't a lie, you are. However, in that context, you are going to anoint the next king. Okay? And, and Sam, and, but here's what's really important in the text. God says, I want you to go up, and I want you to do exactly what I tell you. And Samuel said, okay. And he does up to a point. Look at what the text says. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. Why? Because you never knew with Samuel when he showed up if he was going to give judgment, right? So like, oh, what's he here for, you know? It's like if I'm a, in school and the principal shows up at the, at, at, you know, in your class. It's not normally a good sign. They're not normally there just to affirm you, you know? I'm here to affirm, uh, uh, you know, affirm Henry, or whatever the case. And if that's your name, I'm not thinking of you. But no, that, I mean, that's not the point. So, so they're, they're a little bit nervous. So they ask him, uh, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, I come in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. You see what's going on? So we're going to do the sacrifice. I'm going to consecrate you guys. Make sure you come the way you should come. But when you actually come, I'm going to pull you aside. I'm going to anoint, I'm going to anoint one of you guys. Okay? D -d Does that make sense? Now, this is where Samuel slips a little bit. Verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. And now, my translation says, and thought. Literally, in the Hebrew, it says... When they arrived, Samuel saw Eli Eliab and said. Now, could he have just said it to himself and then he was thinking? Sure. But not, it doesn't actually say thought. It says he said. So it's very, very possible that he, I think he said it out loud. And I don't know how many people he heard it. Maybe, maybe even poor Eliab, which would be like being given something and having it feeling like take it back. But this is what he says. Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. You know why he thought that? We're going to find out in the very next verse. Because Eliab was a strapping, big guy. And if you're going to have a king, he's got to look like a king. Right? And so Samuel has been doing everything God told him to do. I want you to go. He did this. He told him this. He did that. that, that. They even got the, Jesse and his sons to come and everything. But when he sees Eliab, he goes, this is him. And God has to intervene. 
verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Is that easy to do? Is it easy for Doug Finkbeiner to evaluate people based on what I say? Uh, he's a good-looking guy. He's big and strong. I bet he'd make a great king. We ought to bring him on pastoral staff. I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, no, no, do, do, you see, isn't it easy to do those kinds of things? And, and there's a really interesting verse back in chapter 10 where when Saul is finally anointed as king, Saul, uh, Samuel will say, here is your king. Look at how big he is. And I, I, like, I get that. I think if I was Samuel, I would have said the same thing. You know, we need a giant on our side too because he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. And I would argue, I love Samuel, I love Samuel, I love Samuel. But I think when Samuel met, and you had these seven sons initially line up there, he saw the oldest and he thought to himself, that's got to be the guy. And God says, that's not where I look. Look at what he says. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's really the reason we've entitled this series, A Man After God's Own Heart. Can I show you something? I want to show you just a couple passages in Samuel and in, in the book of Psalms, um, in Kings too, where, where this theme comes up. Okay, and I'll just kind of zip through it here. 1 Samuel 13, 14. This is when Saul is being um, judged. But now your kingdom will not endure. Yahweh has sought for himself a man according to his own heart. The passage we're looking at now. 1 Kings 9, 4. As for you, if you walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart. David went before me with all his heart. Psalm 78. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. He brought him from following the nursing ewes and to shepherd Jacob, his people in Israel, his inheritance. And he shepherded them according of his heart. Do you see it, folks? All the way through, God wants you to know when he chooses somebody to lead his people, he's mostly concerned about the inside rather than the outside. Does that give you hope? Well, at one level, it puts a lot of pressure on us. <laughs> because it's not about what I want you to think about me. It's about who I really am. But then again, on the other hand, if you know Christ, you have his spirit within you. You are a born-again believer God can do this in your life. It's not about being perfect. I wanted to 
Oh, here, here's another, one other verse I'll throw at you. This is from Acts 13, Paul is speaking. And again, he says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man according to my own heart. So it's everywhere. So here you have, can you read that okay? I, you know the problem with charts is I always want to put far too much on them. And I, I, I'm trying to learn, but here it is. Let, let me just take a second, okay? Actually, I don't have to turn around. I can look at it back there. Okay, here we go. Um, so what you have on the very top is David's age. The passage here before us, David is probably somewhere between 12 and 13 years of age when he's actually anointed. Wow. We got young men here that, that are around that age. You know, you, so you think of your, some of our, I'm looking at a couple of guys, I don't, I don't exactly, how, how, Sam, how old are you? 13. Okay, stand up, Sam. That you got. There you go. I mean, you know, Okay, you sit down, back down. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Okay, so so just kind of get a feel. So he's about 13 years of age when he's actually anointed king. And it's probably, I don't know, another year or two when we have the whole Goliath story, which we'll be looking at next week. What happens, though, is David moves from being a shepherd to being in the court of Saul and a soldier to being a fugitive to being king of Judah, just Judah, for seven years, and then king of all Israel finally for the last 33 years of his life. If if I could do something to this slide, I thought about it this morning, so it was impossible to do. But but do, do you see that, the base red line there? Okay, you see that, right? If I could then, every time David responds appropriately at that point in his life, if I would kind of go above it, you know, that would be like positive. And if he just kind of acts normal, just stay on the line. But if he goes bad, you kind of go underneath it. And so that if, if I was working through the life of David, like how squiggly would it look? <laughs> Wouldn't it? So to be a person after God's own heart doesn't mean you're perfect. We're all out. What it means, sincerely from the inside out, he genuinely loves the true and living God. It doesn't mean other things don't cloud in. He doesn't, all that's true, all that's true. But at the core, it's God. And for the Saul, for Saul at the core, it was Saul. And, and God says, My people are important to me, and I want somebody leading them. He will not be perfect, but the pattern of his life will be oriented to me and what I want. Now, he hasn't even done David yet. God just told that to Samuel. He's got another hurdle to get over. It's David's father. Look at what happens. Then then Jesse called Abinadab, verse 8, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these 
all the sons that you have. Doesn't that strike you as strange? Consecrate your boys, bring them here. If one of your kids is going to be the next king, they go through seven boys. And Samuel's saying, is that it? Pretty much. Well, I mean, there's David. What's up? He's only Sam's age. He's only 13. And he's out watching the sheep. It couldn't possibly be him. Do do you see that? His own father. It wasn't just Samuel coming on and saying, well, Eliab, Eliab, I mean, that's my guy. Holy mackerel. Even his own father, he's kicking it down. I don't know about you, but I'd at least put the last guy there anyway because I'd want all my sons to be in that position. But perhaps he wants to protect them because he's young. I don't know all what Jesse's thinking, but, but clearly he doesn't seem to value David. And yet, folks, this is what I found to be so fascinating. Do you realize something? In this portion of chapter 16, and in the next section of chapter 16, and in the beginning of chapter 17, every time, you know where David starts in those three, three stories? He always starts in the sheepfold. And that which Jesse looks at and says, it can't be him. He's nothing but a shepherd. God says, on the backside of that desert, I am training him so that he can come and shepherd my people, Psalm 78, from the inside out. So people may devalue, devalue. He or she can't. God says, I do from the inside out. Family members can look, look aside. Leaders can look aside. But it will not stop the true and living God from doing what he's going to do. Isn't that great? So, Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. We say, hey, Finkbinder, he looked pretty decent too. Yeah, but I don't think that's being given in the sense of Eliab will be this great leader. I think when it says he's a good-looking kid, he's ruddy, he's simple, it's just saying he's a nice-looking little teenage boy. That's it. You know why I know that? In the very next chapter, when he stands before Goliath, Goliath says almost the exact same thing about David. He's nothing but a punk kid. He may be good-looking, but who cares? He's dead. So even when he's described this way, it's not to say, dun dun to say, he's a kid. That's all he is. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Incidentally, I've told you this, but you don't actually read David's name until you get to verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. 
and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Oh my goodness. You're talking about a theological um, minefield. So let me at least mention a couple things, okay? Just Because this is going to move us into the next thing. And this is what's so fascinating to me. Although it's covert, it's very direct. God has David anointed king at the age of Sam. Okay? About 12, 13 years of age. That's what he does. But God not only does this directly, but God is the providential God that has this way of bringing all things together, doesn't he? And so this passage... You're going to watch David, who is in the sheepfold, again brought out of the sheepfold and placed right beside the king. King, king elect together, and king doesn't know it. That's God. A couple things. In the Old Testament, the ministry of the Spirit was to come upon key anointed leaders to to sometimes prophesy, uh, to sometimes have military prowess and, 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 and power and, and wisdom, a whole host of things. So, so the, the, the Spirit of God had come powerfully on Saul. We read that earlier in the text. We know that from chapter 10, okay, that, that, that happened. But what you find in the Old Testament is all because the Spirit of God comes on somebody, that doesn't mean that they have God's final approval. It just means that God's Spirit is using them. Now, folks, that all changes in the New Testament. Do you remember what Peter says on Pentecost? Quotes from the book of Joel. And he says, the new covenant is all about God's spirit coming on all those who are true believers in Jesus Christ. And all of your sons and all of your daughters will will be involved in prophesying. It's not just going to be the king at certain times. Saul did that. No, no. And something else. When the Spirit comes upon us in the New Testament and indwells us, he never leaves. In the Old Covenant... You could have the power of God on you and the spirit could leave. Remember David in Psalm 51 after his sin with Bathsheba? Remember he says, Father, please don't take your spirit from me. He gets it. God, I want to have your spirit on me so I can make good military prowess decisions and all these things. Please let me lead. Please let me lead. That's That's what he's saying. But in the New Testament, folks, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior... You don't have to pray that prayer. God, don't take your spirit from me. You have the spirit. He is the down payment that you are God's forever. It's different. It's different. So when you read this, be careful. Know where we are in biblical history. Because in the new covenant, the spirit is given to all for good. Okay? Okay. Now an evil spirit comes upon Saul. And this evil spirit, the Bible tells us, is from the Lord. Does that make you nervous? I mean, you read that and go like, oh, whatever. I have to tell you, I read that and I go like, oh, okay. And, and scholars tend to kind of go two ways on this one. The, the word that sometimes messes us up is the word evil, which can also be translated in the Old Testament as just, calamity or trouble 
And so some scholars say this is an actual angel from God. He's not evil, but he's troubling Saul. That's one option. The other option is that God removes his protective hand and allows a demon to come and trouble Saul. This one is direct. This one is indirect. This one God does is behind it. This one God is over it. Do, do, do you see the difference? And people are going to gripe and complain and argue back and forth. And, but here's the point. Are there times when God gives people what they want? They've chosen to go their way. And for 23 years in his reign, Saul has said, Saul, 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 Saul. And God says, fine. Saul, you get it. Have it. And the Spirit will remind you of that, where you are. And that's what happens as this passage opens. Real quick, let me read on. Verse 15. Saul's attendant said to him, see, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. It's so fascinating to me that they see it. They realize what's going on. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play, play the liar. Not liar, L-I-A-R, but the musical instrument, okay? He will play when the evil spirit or the troubling spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. Okay, so can you see what God's doing? God's spirit, Holy Spirit, has been removed from Saul because that's, the spirit now is going to be working with David throughout his ministry. A spirit then begins to torment Saul. Imagine this is much more emotional in its focus. The servant sees all this and says, what you need is some really good music. And because the chapel's not around yet, they have to come up with something other than that, okay? So, I mean, if, if Carmelo was there, they get to get Carmelo and his group over here, whatever, whatever. So, what you need is you need somebody to play music because there's this kind of soothing effect that music will have, and hopefully, then things will, you'll feel better. Music kind of does that. And then here's how God works one of the servants sitting around there says, Hey, hey, um, I know this kid. Hey, I don't know, he's 13. We know exactly here, 13, 14 years of age, whatever. And the Lord is with him. Everybody knows that. The only other person that's mentioned about in, the, in 1 Samuel is, is Samuel. But the, the Lord is with him. And He's a brave young man. You need those kinds of people in your court because you're getting scared an awful lot these days. Okay? You need that. And man, can he pay, play the liar. Oh, man, you ought to watch him on that thing. Okay? He's as good as the Mazone boys are. I mean, he, he can just do that thing. I mean, he's just really, really, really good on this thing. Okay? So, so can you see what God is doing? God is providentially working behind the scenes because God is saying, I want him right there. 
And so Saul's having this trouble. Someone says, I know about David. And then look at what, 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 look what Saul does. Saul then, verse 19, sent messengers to Jesse and said, says, send me your son David who is with the sheep. See, that's where David always is. He's with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat and sent them with his son to Saul. If you're going to go to send, send somebody to the king, you better have some food. Okay, bottom line. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Now, I, I just want to throw one other thing. I know this is a technical thing, but sorry, I'm going to throw it out at you anyway. Literally in the Hebrew, it doesn't say Saul liked him very much. It says he liked him very much. And the question is, who? It's either David or Saul. And I lean more just because all the verbals before and after it are pointing to David. I tend to think that this is actually speaking about David. I think it's saying David came, he entered in, the young man that knew he would be king, he saw the king who was being tormented, the king who had walked away from God, but David loved him. David was willing to submit to him, and he would wait as long as God wanted him to wait. I tend to think it's probably more David than Saul. And David then became one of his armor bearers. Then, then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, allow David to remain in my service for I am pleased with him. Yeah, it was reciprocated there, no doubt. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the tormenting spirit would leave him. I wonder... How many of the psalms David sang to Saul? I don't know. I mean, that, that doesn't tell us. But I wonder if he composed some of his psalms for this king. Don't know. I'll find out when we get to heaven. And so, just try to pull all this together. This is what I guess I'd want to say. When I read chapter 16, God sovereignly designs leadership roles for believers who genuinely love him from the inside out. Folks, if you know Christ, you can be that kind of a person. Do you realize that? On your own? Never! But because the true and living God lives within you? Yes. God does, and, and you know what's so cool? What if, um, what if we said, hey, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking for uh, another elder around here. A couple things. He's got to have an income above $250,000. He's got to be tall and really good looking. Tremendous speaker presence with people. Whole list of things. You know what it does? It excludes all of us. 
But what if you say, we need a man who will love God from the inside out, who can lead his people. Do you see the difference? And this passage says the sovereign God is working directly, providentially. God is doing it all. So he takes David from the sheepfold, gets him anointed, and puts him right into the court of Saul. Right where he wants it. As a teenager. So much so that he writes Jesse and says, I want this guy to stay with me. The king-elect next to the king. That's phenomenal. Two things. While David loved God inconsistently, Jesus alone loved God the Father perfectly. Remember I told you before on that, that picture? If we would chart David's... Okay, okay, I know David is oriented to God. He loves God from the inside out. But how does that work its way out sometimes? Well, he does happen to actually commit adultery with another man's wife and then murder that man. Like, I don't really put... I mean, like... I don't put that one real high, would you? I mean, that would be the lowest. He can't be a Christian. He can't be a believer. Believers can't do those things. Believers can do all kinds of things. But the, David, the difference between David and Saul, Saul felt remorse but didn't repent. David repented. And that shows us at the core of his heart he loved God. But in, but in all of that love, the guy was just imperfect, plain and simple, folks. And God was saying, I need a king that will rule my people. And the only king that will ultimately rule, that will be perfect, is Christ. Isn't that true? So I'm reading David, and I'm seeing myself. But I'm also seeing Jesus. I stand and you stand on the other side of Jesus. Christ has come. And this Christ, so let me go back to this thing. Uh, so too far. Here we go. So while Christ loves God the Father perfectly, I mean, it's so clear. You, all you have to do is read the Gospels. It's everywhere. Believers in God, in Christ, can love God progressively. Do you see that? David, with all of his failures, he... He can't stand in the presence of the ultimate Christ who is perfect. Neither can I accept that he has loved me and he has forgiven my sins because he died for me on the cross and given me his spirit and with all my imperfections. I feel like David most of the time. God is in the process of progressively transforming me and making me more like Jesus. I'll never be perfect. Even Tim Huff will never be perfect. But it's true. Do you see that, folks? So we read these guys, and we say we're like them, and we can be different because of the ultimate king who can change us. That's what God's about. And so, in your own life, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all I can say is, of your own strength, do the best you can. And you may get the applauses of some people. But you always know in the nagging part of your heart that there's something missing. Because you can't. 
not the way God can. Come to him. Find his transforming forgiveness. You will not become perfect, but you will be forgiven. And God will set you on a course of transformation. Do you know Christ? This passage should encourage you. Yeah, but I'm not that good of a speaker. Okay. I'm certainly not that good looking. Okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is the heart. A heart given to him. And however he chooses to use me, I will never look back and regret it. The gospel gives hope to every person, folks. It's what it always does. One more thing. When you see other people, don't look in the outward appearance. Remember the true and living God who can change them from the inside out. That's who he is. That's who we serve. Stay with us for this series. It's going to be a whopping good series. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I, I, at one level, I'm thankful that David's not a perfect man because then I, it would be almost disheartening. But he, like all of us, is a sinner. And our only hope is forgiveness in you. Lord, help us to be men and women that look at our, look at our own hearts before we look at anything else. And when we look at others, we look at them through your kind and loving eyes, knowing what you can do in their lives from the inside out. They don't have to be Saul's. They might become Saul's. They might choose that, but they don't have to be. When we pass into eternity, Lord, may you be able to put on our gravestone a person after your own heart. In Christ's name I pray, amen.